Abbey Orchard Street Audio Drama, Episode Number Three The Witness. Part One I managed to have a one week period of, well, relatively a normal existence before everything started up again. One evening, Rick called over and told me to wear a nice suit to work the next day. He paused as he knew I didn't like a fuss, and I just cut in. What's going on? You're going to the British High Commission tomorrow morning to be recognized. The chief, detective superintendent, myself, and some other folks, including Lisa, will be there for a little reception. Now, just to sell this, this is where you get a medal. So rather than some gong show in the UK when you go over in a couple weeks, this will be a much more intimate thing, which I gather you would prefer. I thought about it for a second. Fine. With that, I went and retrieved a newly pressed shirt and my best suit. I had a, let's just get this over with attitude towards the whole thing. And there I was, in a very nice reception room in the British High Commission. Lots of great works of art, pictures, and just that atmosphere you can't get anywhere else but in jolly old England. Chief was there, very happy. Any situation where some officer isn't in trouble, or the service is on the ropes for, is a good day for him. The detective superintendent was there. Rick was all dressed up like an adult. Lisa was complaining that she had nothing fancy to wear that hid the bulge of her pistol well. The High Commissioner and some of her folks, a group of liaison-type people, probably British police or security types, and a lone Canadian lieutenant colonel in a very bland dress uniform. No insignia of which unit he was part of, but a chest full of medals on display. He had that vibe on him. He had to be the boss of the team. Then Major Jones arrived, the team officer who I'd met at HQ and he stood beside the colonel. Case for the crown. The heavies were here. They both nodded at me like proud parents. One of the staff, name of Tom, called the room to order and asked me to come forward. I could see the photographer taking some discreet pictures. I didn't like that. Tom then thanked everyone for attending, like I had a choice, and proceeded to read out the citation. On October 4th, Detective Sergeant Smith Phillips of the police service and a former sergeant with the Special Forces team of the Canadian Armed Forces found himself at Victoria Street and Abbey Orchard Street in the City of London. At that time, a terrorist attack was commenced on the British ambassador to the EU. With great bravery and skill, Detective Sergeant Phillips intervened and without loss of life, suffering an injury, disarmed the attackers, saving countless lives. As a result of his actions, D.S. Phillips not only saved a member of the British royal family, but put himself in harm's way in the best traditions not only of the police service, but of the Canadian Armed Forces. With that, the Commissioner stepped forward and placed the Police Bravery Medal around my neck. The crowd broke into applause. The Commissioner spoke. This morning I spoke to Her Majesty, and she asked me to convey her thanks to you, Sergeant, for your actions on the day. She wishes you all the best and gives you the thanks of a grateful nation. With that, there was some more cheering and then the food and drink flowed. I was surprised as the event went on for a couple hours and then ended up at a private military club nearby. I think I made it home like at 11 p.m. A little drunk. Part 2 Ten days later I was sitting in the officer's mess of a downtown London military complex. The British Army was putting me up as the threat assessment was off the charts for me in the UK apparently. The British security apparatus was in overdrive. They had reservations for me with multiple airlines and hotels in an effort to confuse any potential hit teams. I had actually flew over in an RCAF C-130 Hercules with Lisa and a small group of operators from the team. 
I got picked up by SO15 and driven to this space where I was no doubt surrounded by a heavy presence of both regular and special forces types. It was obvious that there would be no sightseeing or anything of that nature during this visit. I was told that the security types here were running around with decoys trying to bring out the terrorists. The threat level was imminent and they're trying to control when and where. Good luck to them. I was waiting for SO15 and the prosecuting attorney from the CPS to come by for a pre-hearing chat. The preliminary hearing was starting tomorrow, and I was scheduled for either the afternoon or the next morning, depending on last-minute motions. About 15 minutes later, Detective Superintendent Ford, Detective Inspector Pollard arrived with Crown Counsel, Rebecca Blight, and one of her associates. There were pleasantries all around, and then we sat down. Rebecca started off. I will give you an opportunity to read over your statement to refresh your memory in a moment. Now, as you are probably aware, the purpose of the hearing is to show enough cause to go to a full judge and jury trial at the Bailey. Defense counsel at any time may concede there is enough cause and will go for a final trial at some point next year. Quite often, cases like this counsel will want to challenge parts of the evidence, the way it was collected by the officers involved, and try to muddy the waters. In this case, I imagine you will be the center of their efforts because, quite frankly, we have the whole thing on CCTV, with a load of witnesses as well, GSR, the whole thing. So our friend, the defense counsel, is one Roger Fairchild. He often represents terrorists or notables who are taking on the establishment. Part of the hearing you are in could be difficult, and I do appreciate that you are a veteran officer, but this is the big leagues, and I will do my best to keep things in order. Do you have any questions? My background. Will it come out? I have clear instructions from the CPS with input from your Federal Prosecution Service on how to handle that and what can come out. We have a lot of experience with this, so please give me a chance to get to my feet to object if the subject comes up that you're subject to the Official Secrets Act on. I nodded and then we went over my statement. Everyone left the room for a coffee while I read it over a bunch of times. Rebecca came back alone. Anything I need to be worried about regarding your statement? No. Good, I will see you tomorrow at noon at court. Thank you. With that, everyone left and I ended up watching football in the officer's mess. It was funny. I was never alone. Around 11 p.m., I headed back to my room for a good night's sleep. Part 3. About 2.30 a.m., the world exploded. I hit the floor as I heard a couple of blasts and the sound of semi-automatic gunfire. Two soldiers in camo broke into the room and asked if I was okay. The sound of gunfire was intense. Couple sods are trying to get over the west gate. They have some covering fire supporting them from a nearby rooftop, and a car just blew up in front of the front gate. We're heading to the basement to take a tunnel to a waiting vehicle. Then we are taking you to a safe house. You ready? As we headed down a hall, Lisa joined us. I saw she had a pistol shoved down her waist. How in the hell did she get a gun? Anyways, we went downstairs, followed the passageway for what seemed forever, and then ascended to an opening and jumped into a couple waiting cars. I asked if everyone was okay. The boss? No idea what his name was. Yeah, two MPs were slightly wounded by the car bomb. It was a distraction, not made for maximum destruction. We had a team on another roof, so they took out the top cover very quickly, and the two guys going over the wall were taken out before their feet hit the ground. SO-15 had part of the group under surveillance, not the bomb guys, but they caught another vehicle with two other group members a couple blocks away with the police armed response types. They crashed into the car, and both terrorists are seriously injured in a gunfight. The base of operations for this group was pinpointed early yesterday, so another team of special forces is breaching the address right now in support of the police. We should hear shortly. A couple minutes later, the update. Three further terrorists located in the house. Mail party was shot in serious condition, 
and the two females located and taken into custody after a major physical confrontation. Apparently, they didn't want to get arrested, but got separated from their weapons during the assault. They ended up being taken to police HQ, which at this point was a fortress, and not too far from the courthouse. I was handed over to SO15 and offered coffee. About 8 o'clock, Rebecca was ushered into the room and paused. Are you good to go for today, or do you want to wait till tomorrow? I understand you had an interesting night. No, I want to do this today and go home. This is crazy. She nodded and told me she would see me this afternoon, and off she went. Part 4 Detective Superintendent Ford and D.I. Pollard took Lisa and myself to court in a low-visibility convoy. I don't know if it made me feel safer or not. We arrived without further incident, and I was brought into the courtroom and sworn in. Lord Smythe was the judge. He didn't look that friendly, or that he was actually in the mood for anything. I gave my evidence in chief. It took two hours. Man, was Rebecca thorough. This was the big leagues. The judge ordered a 15-minute break. When we came back, Mr. Fairchild, your witness. Thank you, my lord. Sergeant Phillips, are you presently a member of any security service or special operations unit? No, sir. Are you a member of the military presently? I am technically a reservist, and the military can call me back at any time. On the day in question, were you operating as a member of the military or police? No. I put it to you, sir, that you have been inserted into the situation as part of a plot to entrap my clients. No, sir. Did you ever serve in any special forces unit? Rebecca didn't get to her feet. Yes, sir. What unit? Special forces team. Canadian or UK? Canadian. Where did you serve? Your Honor, the witness cannot and should not answer that question. It is not relevant, and further, the witness is not in a position to answer. Move on, counsel. Your Honor, I need some room to bring out the truth. Move on, counsel. Fairchild reset and continued on. What was your authority to intervene on the day in question? None. So you just jumped into a situation you didn't understand and shot my clients. I found myself in the situation, saw your clients firing weapons at a car, and reacted to what I saw. But you didn't understand the context of the situation. I observed your two clients pull out concealed weapons, one of them a carbine, and open fire on a number of vehicles. I did not see any threat or reason for them to open fire. So we have to rely on your view what happened? That is all I can give the court counsel, what I saw and what I did. You tried to kill my clients. Your one client had his weapon discharged into his body while still in his hand. I did not pull the trigger, I just maneuvered the gun away from myself and the public. Your second client was armed with a carbine and was firing towards vehicles and then began swinging around towards my direction. I felt a threat to everyone and myself, so I fired two rounds, center mass, to stop the attack. I appreciate that doing so, I was using force that could result in serious bodily harm or death. My intention was not to kill, but I also appreciate the level of force was very serious and potentially lethal. Answer the question. Your Honor, the witness answered the question. Counsel, move on. Fairchild reset again. Have you ever, during a military operation, been in plain clothes and entered in combat without notice? Your Honor, where is the counsel going? Where are you going, counsel? Your Honor, I want to understand the thoughts of the witness and understand from his experience what he thought was happening and any biases he might carry into it. Counsel, move on. Did you know my clients are soldiers? No, sir. Do you know that they are fighting a war? I don't. Your Honor, counsel is leading evidence that has not been entered. Counsel, what are you saying? 
My clients are soldiers fighting a war against the establishment and should not be prosecuted as mere criminals. They are prisoners of war. Counsel, if you want to put in a motion of some sorts, do it. In the meantime, do you have any further questions for this witness? Officer, is it true you were arrested along with my clients? I was arrested. Doesn't that say something about your actions? Your Honor, counsel is trying to misdirect the court. You can come back to this and redirect. Answer my question. I was arrested and released. The police didn't realize who I was or what I had done initially, so there was some confusion. I ended up helping them with their inquiries. There seemed to be a bit of confusion on the day in question. Your Honor, objection. The court strikes the last comment by counsel. Continue. So you jumped into a situation you didn't really understand, and then you yourself got shot and arrested. I did get shot and arrested. I saw a serious situation, reacted, and brought it to a conclusion. Without knowing all the facts. I saw a serious situation and I reacted to it. Without knowing all the facts. All I knew is what I saw, if that answers your question. Your Honor, the witness is being belligerent. Counsel, the witness has answered. Just because you don't like the answer doesn't make the witness belligerent. It's his answer. Fairchild sat down and pretended to sulk. Crown Counsel, any redirect? Officer, did you arrive at the scene of the attack by design? No, I was on holidays. Were you following any orders? No. You reacted to the situation? It was a reaction. Thank you. I have no further questions, Your Honor. His Honor paused. I understand there has been two attacks on you. Yes, Your Honor. He paused again. Thank you for your service and for giving evidence today. Rebecca was trying to conceal her smile as I left the box. Part 5 I was taken to a waiting room with my escorts while an argument raged in the courtroom. Not sure about what. Rebecca's associate, Jill, came out and asked if I would remain in the building until arguments were concluded as it related to me. Lisa was sitting there. That was fun. Wow. Has anyone taken a run at you like that before? Yeah, but maybe not with the same fanaticism. But that is the deal with these days in criminal trials. You can't explain away what actually happened, so you attack the system or the people in the system. We waited for an hour and a half when Rebecca and Jill came in. You're good to go. Council has uh, admitted there is enough evidence for a jury to deal with this, so we are going for a trial probably next year. The judge has committed the matter for high court for a judge and jury trial. Not sure if it would be me handling this case, but we thank you for your evidence today. With that, my escorts took me to the officers' club at Police HQ for a celebratory cocktail. After a crazy 24 hours, it was nice to relax a bit. Lisa and I were driven to an RAF base outside the city where a transport plane was waiting. Standing around the plane were a couple team members to ensure I got home. I fell asleep in the cargo hold, even though the C-130 is like so loud. When I woke up five hours later, Lisa was just looking at me. How can you sleep in this racket? Occupational hazard. You just get used to it. When we landed, we were taken to police HQ where Rick was waiting for us. We were escorted into a conference room where our friends were already seated, obviously having a difficult meeting. Present were Rick the Chief's legal advisor, Detective Inspector Joan Arbor, Inspector Thompson, and Brian from NIS. They didn't look happy. Joan started off. Nice job over there. Glad you were able to testify. I understand the matter was committed for trial. We will deal with that when the time comes. For now, what is the issue? Brian spoke up. Most of this group is either in custody, the hospital, or deceased. That being said, our UK friends advise there may be one further operative in this country, and they believe one more missing in the UK. So that's two unaccounted for. The one believed to be here is a Paul and the, other, and the one in the UK, Gina. We're taking steps to locate 
and I have here the information to be circulated. Paul doesn't have any status, so there's a cookie way out of this if we find him. With the majority of the group caught or deceased, we haven't received any intelligence of any threat. These two are the last we know of. We suggest some security just in case. Rick looked at Lisa. He's still yours for at least the next week. Joan, if we could have an observation post across the street for support if needed. Joan agreed, and that was that. Part 6 After a few days, we fell into a routine. Lisa and Fred stayed over with an ever-present observation post across the street with two VIP types belonging to Joan always present and ready to go. They had my place on CCTV with a small weapons cache, just in case. It was late in the evening, so I went off to bed. I had my 9 mil on the table beside the bed, ready to go. Lisa and Fred were watching some show cuddled up on the couch. I let them be. The VIP types had given me an alarm that looked like one of those alarms seniors carry around in case they fall. I drifted off right away. I had a serious skill in doing so. I could sleep anywhere. All of a sudden, the window beside me exploded in. I looked up, and this dark shape was coming in. I could see the glint of a knife in their right hand. I picked up my pistol, and they lunged at me. I grabbed the guy's knife hand with my left hand and tried to bring up my pistol. The guy grabbed my right hand to stop me. I flexed my wrist and fired off a round, which hit the guy in the ankle. He released his grip on my gun hand, and I struck him in the head with my pistol. He went down. I kicked the knife out of his hand under the bed. I then took control of him. I hit the alarm. I heard a bunch of commotion in the living room. I heard Lisa yell. I found out later that the female suspect had slipped in the rear sliding door and had positioned herself in the kitchen. When she heard my guy come in the window, she charged into the living room. As she ran by Lisa, Lisa stood up and hooked the female in the jaw, dropping her. The female struggled to her feet, at which time Fred came in from the side and struck her with the frying pan. Not joking. Lisa took the female, who we now know to be Gina, into custody. At this point, the VIP types broke down my door. Yes, broke it down. I had given them a key. It was all over. Paul and Gina were in custody, and the house was a mess. In the end, Frank and Bruno pled guilty and got life sentences for the attempt on the ambassador. The surviving group of the army base attack in the UK got life as well. The two suspects that were arrested in attacking me got 20 years in Canadian prison with a deportation order to boot. Paul and Gina got 20 years as well, along with their own deportation orders. I never had to give evidence in any of these matters again. I eventually got back to work and ended up a detective inspector and took over from Rick, who went to the security section. Apparently, the upper echelon liked his role in things and thought he would fit in nicely there. Lisa and Fred are good. I did go out with Claudette a couple of times. She was nice, but I ended up hanging out with Jill from the CPS in the UK. Lisa's not very happy with me, again. <laughs>